The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. I'm Alex Daniel, crypto correspondent for Financial News, and today with me is Sandy Young, Managing Director of Europe at Ripple. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Daniel. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Um, we're going to be talking about two hot topics in crypto today. Uh, the first one is company culture, and the second is regulation. Um, Ripple is an active participant in sort of global debates on both of these subjects. So, um, Sandy's a very good person to be speaking to today. Um, I wondered first, though, if you could um, briefly introduce yourself and introduce Ripple as well for those who um, might not be crypto people or might not know in the audience. Sure, happy to. Um, so I'm uh, Sandy Young. I'm the managing director um, at Ripple for the UK and European business. So I oversee the, the business in this region. Um, Ripple is the leader in crypto enterprise solutions. So we serve business customers only and primarily to their customers are financial institutions uh, like many transfer companies, fintechs, banks, etc. We solve real-world problems with crypto and blockchain from day one. That's been our focus, um, such as, for example, helping businesses move money across the world in a cost-effective way, in real time, in a tra transparent manner, or helping businesses get into the crypto world, crypto world uh, by enabling them to source digital assets in an optimal fashion. And today, the RippleNet, which is our payments network that uses crypto and blockchain, um, today has hundreds of customers in, with over 55 countries, six continents, paying out in 70 countries uh, and processing over $15 billion annually. Sure. Fantastic. Um, obviously, Ripple's a really big company. Um, there are lots of people there, particularly by the standards of the crypto industry. Um, and uh, you're growing as well. So um, company culture is obviously something that is talked about at Ripple. We'll get to Ripple specifically um, in a little while. Firstly, though, I wanted to talk about kind of the broader industry um, on the company culture front. We've seen companies as big as Coinbase have attracted criticism in the last few months for the way that they've treated their employees, for the way they've made sort of sometimes inevitable redundancies. Um, We've also seen chief executives getting into arguments on Twitter, things that maybe you wouldn't see at least uh, as frequently in other industries. Um, I guess my first question is, does crypto have a culture problem? Great question. Um, I think, you know, to really answer that, if I just take a step back, right? I mean, what is culture at the end of the day and why, why does it even matter, right? And Culture essentially is it's a collective force of all the employees, not just the leadership, but every single individual in that company and, and a reflection of how they interact with their environment, whether it be internal or external. Uh, it's that collective sort of attitudes and behaviors. 
it's so invisible and so hard to pin down, um, yet it's so important because it really makes a difference in how people show up every day and how, what they how they decide what they choose to contribute or not, right? Just showing up is not the full game, right? Every day you can contribute 20% of your effort and brain power, or you can contribute 150%. And there's a massive difference in companies and managers who affect to get that 150%. Uh, and, and, and impacts, again, how you know, they interact, the people in that company interact internally, but also externally with the customers and partners and regulators, whoever externally might be. And even there's this, one of my favorite sayings in businesses is culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it's not that strategy is not important, right? It is certainly important, but you cannot implement strategy effectively without a strong culture is something I, I really do believe in. And at the end of the day, companies are just purely legal construct, right? It's the people in them that make a difference, that create something, add value, create value. Um, I think, you know, one of the one of my favorite um, kind of historian philosopher authors, Yuval Hariri, kind of has this claim that you know, the reason human beings control the planet essentially, as opposed to any other animal species, is because they have this unique ability to co cooperate in a very flexible way, but in large numbers. And a company is essentially a manifestation of doing that in a, in a really interesting way. Now, coming to your question around like, is there a culture problem in, in crypto? is I think there are some challenges or some trends that I have observed, I have picked up on, uh, that are causing some problems. It is not just crypto. It could be, I think, in, in, in any industry, if they existed, that could be a problematic. So one of the things is we've seen in some cases some lack of transparency. Um, and again, we are, as Ripple, trying to always lead by example in the way we have handled the SEC lawsuit in the way um, we're releasing quarterly market reports in terms of our purchase and sale of uh, XRP. And then the second, I think, important problem that I noticed is the sort of the crypto bros, right, is real, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And crypto being at this intersection of financial services and technology, which are both typically kind of white male dominated industries, there's a real threat here, right, that we could repeat the same mistakes as those industries. And we see that, you know, both in terms of our anecdotal experience, sometimes in some conferences, etc., but in our recruitment efforts, sometimes, um, and and some of the stats that are out there, right? I think um, there's a forex study recently that shows, of the 32 biggest crypto companies in the world, all of the CEOs are male, for example. Um, and again, I think you know, of the again, the top sort of eight to ten companies, crypto companies. In their board, there's not even one female. Again, contrast that to Ripple. Of our nine board members, we have four uh, females and other uh, ethnicities represented as well. So um, that's kind of the second problem, I think, kind of the crypto bros and kind of diverse inclusion. And maybe a third one, if I were to mention, is there seems to be, I think, a little bit of a confusion between having an open debate, saying your mind, with the need for respect and empathy for other people, which is, again, something we really try to embody at Ripple. We have our kind of um, set of values called Legos, and one of them is say it, because we do want that debate, this disagreement and, and, and healthy discussion, but not ex at the expense of um, you know, hurting other people's and, and being disrespectful. Sure. 
And that, that you've touched on a couple of really interesting points there, and I want to just go into them a bit further. Um, obviously, crypto bros, it's sort of almost like the, the, the two words sort of cease to mean anything. People have said them so much over the years, but it's true that it's so male dominated. I'm very aware that I'm speaking as a white male who is working in the crypto space when I say this, but would you say that the male dominated nature is in part to blame for some of the things that have gone wrong historically in its brief history from a cultural perspective? I would not say that's the only thing. There's there's always an you know a number of factors there. It's it's you know I think it's it's very hard to just nail down to one single area. I think a lot of these things that I mentioned around you know transparency. You know there are completely you know male managed com companies who are very transparent, right? So it's not such a binary thing. But for me, what's something to really watch out and and do better is is again, coming from the intersection of financial services and technology, um, if you just, you know, we've seen, for example, in the last, again, one, two years, a, a massive influx of talent, right, coming from some of the leading tech companies, leading financial services companies. I personally came from MasterCard. Um, by nature, right, if you get the sort of talent from there, by nature, there's already a lower representation of minority groups and, and gender and et cetera. Um, so we need to work, I think, extra hard to make sure that as the industry is in the early stages, we the, the people working in it represent the people we're trying to serve. Um, because, I mean, at the end of the day, kind of one of the sort of ethos and underlying premises of the blockchain crypto technology is improving really that access to financial services and the financial system where today 2 billion people are left out of, right, because the system is very antiquated, created in the pre-internet era, doesn't serve the needs of a lot of people on this planet. And the world has moved on, right? The way we live and work and everything has moved on. So there are those opportunities to include those 2 billion people. Um, so that's just something to watch out on. Mm -hmm. And how have you found, has there been, um, I'm, I'm more talking about the broader industry before we get onto Ripple specifically in a second, again, like I said, but have you found the kind of the change in culture coming from MasterCard coming across into crypto when you've sort of spoken to other people at other companies or at industry events, firstly? Has there been a sort of substantial difference? It's it's a mix. It's, it's very hard to pinpoint because in the in the way, at least, you know, especially Ripple is operating, right? We are using this kind of innovative technology and crypto solutions. Uh, but we're really bridging the gap with the financial services, right? From our, I mean, we're a 10 year old company now. From early days, we've been working within the existing ecosystem with regulators, governments, central banks, right? And, and you know, maybe it may not be so revolutionary today to say that, you know, back even five, four or five years ago, because the, the ethos originally of kind of how Bitcoin sort of became popular, came popularity, et cetera, is a bit more around, okay, let's throw the existing system and let's start something new. We haven't followed that from early days. We've always been working with the ecosystem and believe that the change will come as an evolution, right? Working with everybody else. So because of that, where I operate sort of, I'm in a very interesting intersection where I'm, you know, I join both very heavy crypto native, right? Crypto mm -hmm. events and conferences. At the same time, very traditional banking where, um, 
you know, the question might be around, you know, how do we get into crypto? Whereas there, there's such a big spectrum. So I have seen so, so many different cultural um, differences that in a way, yes, in a way, no, because we're, we're existing in the entire spectrum. And Ripple, on the other hand, obviously has uh, this quote unquote, no assholes policy to hiring, which uh, your chief executive has mentioned um, on several occasions, I think. Um, it sort of immediately sets Ripple at odds with um, some of the companies who have attracted some criticism um, in the crypto space. Um, I suppose if you're a cynic, then you might say that that's a kind of similarly kind of outspoken way of talking about company culture. What, what's it like at Ripple? Um, how does it sort of, how does it differ from some of the others in this space? Yeah. I mean, the best way I I, can, I, <laughs> um, I love the no assholes policy. I have to admit um, the way I experience live it is I do love coming in every day and talking to every single person and, and collaborating and working. And I find it, incredibly inspiring and exciting. I think there is that shared excitement of being in this industry that is still relatively early and, and being part of that change, creating that change, right? It's like being at Google in the 90s, right? Shaping the internet. Um, so, you know, I, I love that because it just makes my day very nice. Um, I think if you look at, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's really important, right, in terms of if you look at our, our strong culture has really played out well in terms of, um, especially in the environments like like today, where you know, a lot of companies obviously challenging, unfortunately, have to lay off, etc. We're still continuing to hire and, and even doubling down on, on our efforts, because it's a great time to acquire talent. Um, if you look at, I mean, you know, some of the recognitions we've got recently, the Fortune magazine actually named Ripple among the 100 uh, best medium workplaces. We've had quite a few actually um, people who have you know, left Ripple and then came back after a few little period, which I think speaks a lot to why I think the no assholes culture uh, make a difference. What is a no assholes policy? I know it sort of does what it says in the tin, but do you find yourself, if you're interviewing people for a job, do you turn them away because they maybe don't seem like they're very nice as a person? What? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah, a great question. I think in terms of how I would, um, how the kind of no assholes policy manifests itself, or if I were to even step back, kind of the general the, the, the culture principles that I see at Ripple um, is, is probably in kind of, I can categorize in four kind of buckets, right? One is having very clear set of values that is kind of communicated, lived and demonstrated really well. Um, second is looking after employees because fundamentally we have a belief in that happy, healthy people create great products, deliver great customer service, um, so we really encourage physical and mental wellness. And I can share some examples. Thirdly, listening to employees, I think really important, right? People do want to be, you know, feel heard and seen. And if we are hiring great people, we should really listen to them and help them shape the policies and, and the, the direction of the company. Um, and fourthly, we are very intentional about building community and equity and making sure that, you know, we have 15 offices around the world that everybody feels they have the same 
benefits and access and they're part of a bigger team and we're very very intentional how we do this in terms of our kind of diversity inclusion efforts as well sure okay that sounds pretty plausible i, I think um the cynics might have been allayed there i i just want to remind the audience um that uh, you can submit your own questions um as well uh, via the chat function that you might see on the right hand side of your screen um if you've got any questions about this no assholes policy for example or indeed about crypto bro culture um then feel free to fire them our way um i've got one from uh the audience from a sign-up question here um on the company culture subject before we move on to regulation um this is from win um who asks how does the sustainability of company culture relate to the ebb and flow of talent retention and the great migration issue uh, the dependency on top talent and libertarian participation uh win says tough double exclamation mark i'm guessing this sort of relates to sort of how fast crypto is growing as an industry i guess and how do you balance sort of high growth extremely high growth um with uh, trying to maintain some kind of semblance of a kind of community mm -hmm. Yeah, a really great question because I mean, honestly, it's not even just in crypto, right? Any any company that is growing fast, there's always a challenge of keeping that culture because the smaller group of people you are, right? Easier to communicate, bond, everybody knows each other. The bigger you are, then you start putting in processes and systems in place, which might kind of some somehow, you know, impact that culture, good or bad, depends on how how you manage it. So it's a fair um, fair question and something to really watch out for. Um, I think that's where I would say, first and foremost, having that very clear set of values is really, really important. And it's not just, you know, a lot of companies have values, you know, they put it on the wall and it's forgotten, right? It's about living them and expressing them. If I were to give some example, right, the Legos values we have, and it's on our website, um, they're, you know, when you join the company, they're communicated to everybody. With very good examples we have awards at the regional level and the global level for people who really demonstrate these and, and show you know champion them uh we have kind of a point regular point system where we can really recognize our peers on a regular basis for demonstrating these values um and so we're constantly living and breathing those and that is very important now it doesn't mean they have to stay 100 percent static obviously as the company grows and we get new people we kind of try to bring in, you know, taking the best from everyone and, and it might adapt. Um, but I think having a leadership team that is very conscious about how that culture is lived and breathed and shaped is very, very important. And that's, again, something I think really great that I've seen at Ripple. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. And um, I could kind of talk about this all day, to be honest, because I think it's it's a really interesting subject, especially in crypto. But we are going to move on to regulation, which is equally interesting, given uh, the ongoing case that Ripple has with the SEC. Um, obviously, things are moving. There have been sort of news reports about this in the last few days, even. And I'm aware that you might be somewhat limited in what you can say on it. But could you just briefly and very briefly, for the sake of our listeners, just sum up exactly what's going on here um, from, from Ripple's perspective, from as an objective perspective as you can. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the latest on sort of back in 2020, SEC filed a lawsuit um, against Ripple, kind of alleging that the kind of XRP distributions 
the issue that have been registered as security. Um, XRP whereas, is your cryptocurrency. So XRP is the native digital asset on the XRP ledger, which is a mm -hmm. public permissionless blockchain that anybody can build on. So if Ripple mm -hmm. went away today, XRP would still exist. XRP ledger would still exist. But we have, as Ripple, decided to use XRP in our payment solution and the on-demand liquidity cross-border payment solution because we believe it is the best digital currency. It is more environmentally friendly, uh, you know, faster, et cetera, scalable. There's a number of benefits. Um, so essentially, you know, with this case, it has been going on for a little while. I mean, we're doing everything we can. We're hoping for a very speedy resolution. But essentially where it is, is um, kind of later this year, motions for summary judgment, both by Ripple and SEC should be filed, uh, which means an outcome is potentially likely in 2023, although very hard to you know, predict. Um, we are you know, looking for a speedy resolution and still obviously disappointed by, by, the, by how fast it has progressed. Um, there's been, I think you were alluding to some, some of the recent news, I think there's been two key developments over the last year or so um, that are kind of think, favorable for Ripple's position, which in one case, um, the judge essentially denied SEC's motion to withhold the drafts and emails of the, um, the sort of ex-director of corporate finance at SEC, Bill Hinman, uh, because in his speech, he had basically uh, mentioned that ETH uh, was no longer a security. And as, as the judge sort of um, denied this motion, it also not just denied it, but in, in their statement basically mentioned, you know, called out SEC for kind of the hypocrisy and for adopting this kind of litigation position to further, you know, their goals as opposed to a more kind of faithful allegiance to this law. Uh, the second one is kind of back in March, um, the court also denied SEC's request to strike Ripple's uh, fair notice defense, which essentially means they recognize that there is a serious question whether Ripple had fair notice when they distributed XRP, whether that, that violated security as well, right? So anybody intelligible at that point, could they have figured out XRP should be considered security and you know, Ripple is claiming no. Mm -hmm. And we see that today, we still don't know, right? I mean, that was back in December 2020. Come to today, we've always um, explained from day one, you know, this is not just an attack on Ripple. This is an attack on the entire industry. And that's exactly uh -huh. what we've seen over the last mm -hmm. kind and of year or so. Exactly, exactly. And there, there have been similar conversations around uh, some of the uh, digital assets traded on Coinbase's uh, Coinbase's marketplace, and um, I, I guess my next question, uh, just for background, this is over whether XRP should be treated as a security. This is the kind of the root problem, root uh, argument that is sort of at stake here. It's in the US. Why does this matter so much for the industry? Whether XRP and other tokens should be treated as securities or something else? So what really matters is having a clear regulatory framework on this so that all the players have know the rules of the road and can innovate accordingly, right? The uncertainty is the biggest um, biggest threat to innovation, right? So um, we are not against regulation. Regulation, I think, essentially will help 
crypto to unlock global utility. It's it's more having it, having a clear framework that protects consumers, but also not hampers innovation is really, really important. And when we see, when we look at around the world as well, right, obviously, you know, looking after the business in the UK and Europe, I have the, you know, great opportunity to see what's happening here compared to the US and even some of our, you know, Asia, we're also very active and fast growing in the Asian, mar Asian markets. I can kind of see the differences, right? So we have more like outright bans like in China, we have regulation by enforcement in the US and we have something in between in places like UK, Europe, um, Japan, Singapore, UAE, where it's more about creating that framework so that you know the, the players can innovate and that's that third one is certainly the approach that you know we will favor um i think the markets and crypto assets which is a new kind of legislation that the european union is looking to um they've just passed and looking to sort of take effective in the next years uh, is very very important it's a, it's a pivotal moment right it's the first really harmonized uh regulatory framework for such a kind of big region um that we have seen um, and, and, you know, we, we really applaud that kind of efforts that will really help innovation and, and kind of help Europe take, you know, a step forward um, to being crypto hub globally. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got a listener question on this subject from uh, Melinda, um, who says that due to the global scale of crypto, who should be writing and enforcing the regulations? Obviously, you've just run through the kind of the, the differences and how uh, various countries are doing it. I suppose this is one of the great challenges challenges for regulators at the moment, isn't it? Who do you think should be enforcing it? I don't have an answer to like who you know who exactly. I think there is a there is a level of global coordination. So the reality is today most of the regulation is enforced at the national levels, right? So mm -hmm. um, even if a, a, a you know global body created regulation unfortunately we don't have that sort of really global enforcement action um so it, it most likely will continue to be created at the at the um kind of national rather or regional levels like european union um but there is a certain level of global coordination that you know obviously is happening already sure and i suppose in terms of just coming back to the uh, the, the SEC case, um, whether crypto is treated as uh, whether uh, did certain digital assets are treated as securities in the US, um, I suppose that comes down to whether the SEC or the CFTC, uh, the Commodities Future Trading Commission, is going to regulate crypto broadly on the whole. Who would, speaking candidly, who would Ripple prefer to be regulating crypto in the US? I'm not really in a position to kind of say who's who's you know better positioned and who would be favorable. I think for us the most important thing is just clarity, right? Who is mm -hmm. regulating? What are the rules of the road? Um, and there are a few things that I think really make for a good policy, right? One of them is public-private cooperation, right? In the UK, for example, we recently had. Um, crypto sprints where um, the regulator here at CA invited the industry to participate over hundreds of firms that participated to present their views on what regulation could and should look like and what they should watch out for. I really applaud that again. I think that's a really good approach to 
understand and learn and, and, and consider all the nuances before coming up with something. Another thing that makes a good regulation is clear taxonomy of where the digital assets sit. Again, I'm not suggesting it should be one way or another, but just having clarity, knowing what you're dealing with is the most important thing in business. And having clear mm -hmm. licensing frameworks, right, is kind of the third leg of a, what I think would make a good policy. Okay. Okay. And I, I suppose um, what, what would be just very simply, um, just to clarify that, that what would be the difference between the SEC and the CFTC regulating crypto? It is a very big conversation at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I'm honestly, I'm not a sort of legal expert to sort of opine on what would be you know beneficial for either one of them but again i think transparency and clarity are the most important sure um i suppose uh, the, there's a couple of really broad questions that have come in from the audience here um the first one is um from richard um who says what further events do you think are likely to have the greatest impact on whether the market has bottomed out or whether it has further to go down um i suppose we can broaden that out as well to have we reached the bottom what do you think of sort of the market dynamics at the moment yeah so i think i mean obviously the crypto market has been challenging but not just crypto rights if you take the broader macro environment it's one of the most challenging environments in the last kind of few decades right uh inflation we're seeing at unprecedented levels um so and and there is a bit of obviously linkage between the two because you know in the last years again the crypto markets we've seen started being more correlated to the stock markets, etc. Um, so, I mean, it is obviously very hard to know, uh, you know, have we reached the bottom? Um, but in reality, in a way, it doesn't matter. And what I mean is, you know, I'm very careful when I say it doesn't matter. Of course, if you're invested in the market, it does matter on a, on a personal or kind of a business who's invested perspective. But what is, for me, the most exciting part of this industry is, it is fundamental shift in the technology, right? In the underlying infrastructure that we can change how value is moved around the world. Money is one, but it's not just money. I, I, I definitely see a world where increasingly everything we have will be tokenized from your art to your kind of digital photos. Everything will be more and more tokenized and moving that across the world will be more and more important because our lives have changed a lot, right? In the last 10 years or so, everything is on demand. Everything is global. Everything you want to have at the click of your fingers. But the way we we, we interact with the internet and how the, the kind of money and value moves has not really kept up face. So for me, what's super exciting is blockchain and crypto offer us a really digitally native way of moving value that enables how we live, trade, work, socialize, entertain, right? every single aspect of our lives it's going to be a fundamental change but it's not something overnight it's it's an evolution like any technology right there's a lot of innovation that happens there's hypes and busts and booms and you know some survive some don't survive but over time if you look at the long historical trend you see a massive change and if you look at i mean it's it's it's, it's you know you might get very uh, let's say disappointed when you see all this news about you know the crash and this and that but there's equally a decent amount of still some funding being raised for projects that are really creating utility. Those companies who are focused on building for the long term, they are still for, for uh, building. 
some companies like us are still hiring. So it is important to also have a balanced view and not just kind of get, um, I guess, carried away with just the kind of who lost what, you know, we get excited. People have made millions with crypto now, people have lose millions. I mean, the hype is is only hype, right? It's, it's the important thing. What are we building? Are we solving real world problems? Are we really making a fundamental change in, in, the, in the world? making a dance in the universe essentially. I'm going to be really cheeky and throw one final question in and I'm going to selfishly make it about the UK because that's financial news is beat more broadly. Um, you um, said that clarity is the most important issue. Um, crypto companies, uh, that's correct, crypto companies do really want some clarity so that they can kind of plan for the future on regulation but when when it comes to kind of the uk side of regulations what kind of clarity do you want to see i mean you must have a preference i mean what what direction do you want regulations to go would you rather be light touch sort of are there any things you're looking for in particular from the fca um what's your preference from the uk and eu front yeah i think um a unified approach is it will be important obviously we have a kind of change of government government coming in and whoever is the kind of new prime minister i think it's important to create a unified approach between bank of england the government and any regulators to make to continue to give uk that edge in being a leader right i mean uk is in such a fortunate position having been a leader in financial services and for fintech that has been booming in the last you know 10 odd years um, we have a lot of talent, investment, infrastructure. We're really well positioned. And I'm really excited that, was, you know, some of the kind of policymakers have stated the intention to make UK a crypto hub. But it's only possible if we have that unified approach. And we have that clarity, as I mentioned, around, um, you know, the taxonomy, the public-private cooperation, which I think is, is happening, and, um, and around, you know, the... The, the uh, licensing schemes and, and environments and making sure they continue kind of at pace. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. We are at time. Um, Sandy, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Um, and thanks so much for the audience for tuning in with your very good questions. Um, I've just got to quickly plug our episode for tomorrow. Um, that's uh, Gillian Berman. Market Watch's Deputy Enterprise Editor and Betsy uh, Mayotti, the founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, will have a discussion on the latest student loan news. And they will share their expertise on the payment pause, debt forgiveness, and any other student loan related questions you've got on your mind. Um, so tune in for that. Um, thanks again for listening today. Uh, thanks, Cindy. Um, stay safe, everyone, and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.